Thank you, Pastor Josh, for praying so comprehensively and, and wisely. Thank you to the worship team for their wonderful selection of, of music, and, and we appreciate that so much. getting my technology set up here, and uh, as you can see by the title I put on the slide, I'm speaking this morning on biblical justice versus social justice. Um, normally, you would find from this pulpit um, uh, preachers preaching exposit fairly, um, uh, working through the Bible, and you deserve a reason why I would choose to speak on this today. Uh, you, do, you have that right because it's such a break from the normal and not a topic that I have addressed or, or we've talked about before. So let me be very, very honest with you. <coughs> First of all, I, I finished the Gospel of John last week. And we're not starting something new until next week. So I was left with a, a vacancy, uh, something to stop and think about. Well, what, what I'm going to talk about today, what am I going to preach about today? Uh, for some months now, if not longer, I've been personally studying and reading as much as I can on the issue of social justice. And uh, But a heart thing happened to me several weeks ago. Uh, many of you know that um, I have often spoken of Dr. John Piper. Many of you know that he has informed my life amazingly. And some years ago, I watched with some admiration his retirement and his transition out of pastoring for 30-some years, Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. And I've also looked at, with great honor, at his predecessor, uh, Dr. Jason Meyer. So much so that I doubt if a week goes by that I don't listen to his service and have appreciated the ministry of Dr. Meyer. And then a few weeks ago, there was something said in the service that caught my attention, and so I did some research and found that this great church that had been led by such godly leadership for years and years and years was splitting down the middle. Dr. Meyer and several of the elders resigned, and the issue is a division of thinking, a conflict of thinking over issues of social justice. Um, that broke my heart in two ways. First of all, for Dr. Meyer, whom I hi highly respect, and also for imagining what I thought that in the ministry in that. So I thought that I would speak on this matter out of that motivation. I'm, I appreciate Pastor Josh mentioning the students, and uh, some of them are not here that I would hold this morning as my target audience. 
but many of you students are here. And you are primarily my target audience. And I will say it again, because the mindset that is against biblical justice is the pre prevalent mindset today, and it's mostly being fostered in our schools and our universities. It runs through the political process. It runs through the uh, uh, economic process, but it's mostly being fostered in schools and universities. It's being fostered in schools from play school. And it not only proceeds all through universities, it's a prominent theme in some evangelical seminaries and colleges. I don't pretend today to be an expert. I pretend today to be a, a, a man that is bringing a warning. And I hope to furnish you with enough information that you find the warning valid. And at the end, I'll offer some advice of who you could be listening to and who you could be reading that are far more equipped to handle this topic than I am. When you heard this morning for the first time in the service, social justice, I wonder what you thought. Many of us sounds like, uh, it meant to many of us it sounds like an honorable and an important desire. Like stop and think about it. Who in this world, particularly Christians, particularly Christians who just heard the word of God from Romans 12, 9 and following, who in this world would not be concerned about social justice? But the warning, in a nutshell, is this. Social justice does not mean in the world what it sounds like it means to you. We as Christians are not unaware of Satan's strategies. And Satan's most common strategy is to make words sound the same to everyone. If you're not concerned about words, please understand Satan is. Words have meaning, and words don't always mean the same. The term social justice may seem the same in our nation of Canada, but I can promise you there are two different dictionaries being used. And we w must be warned. As I said, it drives our politics. Now that for the last six months I've been tuned into this, I hear it everywhere from all stripes. I hear code words. It drives our economics. It drives our educational systems. It informs our society of how we're to think and how we're to act. I was thinking this week as I, in preparation for this, 
If the Lord Jesus Christ were here this morning physically as he was on earth, if he was actually in this world, he would be guilty of social injustice. Let me give you some examples. He chose 12 Jewish men to be his apostles. He did not consider racial or gender equity. He gave, in a parable, five talents to one servant, three talents to another servant, and one talent to another. That is unjust. In fact, his apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says that even within the church, the Holy Spirit of God gives to people differing gifts, differing energies and strengths, and differing areas of ministry. That would be unjust today. Jesus would be in violation because he suggested that he would pay a worker the same who came early and those who came late. His unequivocal stance on marriage would make him unjust. He taught that marriage is defined as one man and one woman committed in covenant for life. He would be accused today of being unjust. His view of the family would certainly make him unpopular. And every major point of his teaching, he would at some point violate what is defined today as social justice. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you let me pray and would you pray with me? Father, I've often heard other people pray, may the things that break the heart of God also break our hearts. Father, you have gathered a people of differing tongues, differing cultures, differing languages, differing people groups in the body of Christ through your death, burial, and resurrection. And we want to be a people that are Romans 12, 9 people. But Father, alert us, I pray, to the error that's being filtered through all significant agencies and institutions in our country. As Pastor Josh prayed, we are facing an election We want to be wise. Help me, Father, today 
to only say what is true and good. I'm so fearful today about saying something wrong. Please help me. I beg for your help. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is social justice? William H. Young defines social justice this way. We should know what we're talking about. He defines it as state redistribution of advantages and resources to disadvantaged groups to satisfy their rights to social and economic equality. Now, generally speaking, without being overly critical, I have never met anyone who would disagree with that. That's not a bad definition, in my opinion, of social justice. But here's the catch. What Young means as equality is not what the Bible means as equality. Social justice equality does not mean equality of personhood, equality of values, equality of dignity. That might be the way you and I use it in this church. When we say we're equal, we're thinking in terms of worth and value and eternal value of every single person here this morning regardless of who you are. But in the social justice system, equality means equality of outcome. I'm going to explain that in a minute. For instance, in economic Marxism, equality means equality of outcome meaning everybody has the same amount of economic value. But what is being taught today is taught is cultural Marxism, where everybody has the same equality of outcome. We believe as Christians, according to the word of God, that every human being should have equality of opportunity. Hope you can say amen. But not everybody has the same equality of outcome. Having, this, having the equality of opportunity doesn't mean you have the equality of outcome. I know you'll think this is a silly illustration, but how can I illustrate this so it makes sense? Let's suppose you have 10 dogs and 10 cats applying for a job. The job only has 10 positions. Equality of opportunity means that all cats and all dogs have opportunity for that position. But equality of outcome means 
five dogs and five cats must have the position. Do you see the difference? The society we're living in is when, when, when we speak of equality, we're talking about equality of outcome. In the U.S. 2020 election, Kamala Harris, the, she's the current vice president of the United States, she's quoted in a video saying, it's about giving people the resources and support they need so that everyone can be on an equal footing and then compete on an equal footing. And so far, you ought to agree with that. Everyone should have the resources they need so they can compete equally in opportunity. But then notice what she says. Equitable treatment means we all end up in the same place. Do you see how fine the thinking is? How it, how it splits apart? Equitable treatment means we all end up in the same place. That is called, beloved, cultural Marxism, not economic Marxism, cultural Marxism. But the name has been referred to in our society, society to make it more palatable, to make it more, uh, to make it seem better. Instead of calling it cultural Marxism, it's called social justice. All through this, I keep thinking of, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times over the last few months I keep thinking of that series that we did here by Greg Kokel on the, on the topic tactics. Do you remember that? Well, his first question in, in, in dealing with a person on the issue of the Christian faith is, ask the question, what do you mean by that? Christians, we need to be in a position that when we're talking to our MPs and our MLAs and we're talking to our friends and we're talking to one another, we need to be asking the question, what do you mean by that? Because when proponents of social justice are talking, they mostly mean something different than you mean when you mean equality. you need to be informed this morning and you need to be warned. So what is biblical justice? As Christians, we ought to disagree with the social justice that's being taught in our society. But God forbid that because we disagree with the the world's view of justice, that we as Christians are not very adamant about real justice. The Bible is not silent about justice when you think about it. In Psalm 82.3, we read, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. 
maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. That can't be clearer. It just cannot be clearer. Isaiah 1, 17, learn to do good, semicolon, learn to do good. You ask, well, what is the good that the prophet has in mind? Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. all described as good. Micah 6.8, you're familiar with this, aren't you? He has told us, told you, O man, what is good. Again, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? James 2 my brothers, show no partiality. That's clear. That's clear. I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. If I, as your brother, show partiality to any, anyone due to their education, due to the color of their skin, due, due to their social standing, due to, to anything, if, if my heart shows favoritism and partiality, God's word says that's a sin. This, is, this isn't something that Christians ought to worry about. I mean, to suggest that a Christian needn't be concerned about justice is about the same as suggesting a Christian shouldn't be concerned about righteousness or holiness or anything else. The Bible is clear. Biblical justice, in its simple terms, all through the Bible can be described in this one phrase, set things right. Set things right. When you see a wrong, you were to set it right. Jesus is our example even though Jesus wouldn't be accepted in the world today as culturally correct. Jesus is our example. He pursued justice. He physically ministered and spiritually ministered to all those who were near him and around him. When, a, when lepers came to him who were the outcasts of society. He had no problem ministering and touching them and healing them. Matthew 8 is an example. John 8. What about the infamous woman caught in adultery? What did Jesus do in that occasion? He sought justice. He sought justice. Some people think that Jesus overlooked her sin of, of adultery. He didn't. He didn't. The woman was brought to him by religious leaders, accused of adultery. Jesus knew she had committed adultery. He was now placed in the place of giving judgment. So he wrote something on the, on the, on the ground, 
and said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. He was, he was making a judicious statement. Everyone left. And then he said to the woman, I forgive you. You don't sin anymore. You say, where was his justice? Justice system in Israel was based on the fact that all people brought to trial must have two or three witnesses against them. And Jesus looked up from writing on the ground, no one was there but the woman. That's about as just as you get. But the standard of justice is God himself. And that's where we differ from the world. The standard of justice is God himself. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock. Speaking of God, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. So where we have to be right and the world is wrong is we get our definition of justice from God, not from the world. Give me, let me give you an example. When God says in his word, that a man and a woman are to be committed in covenant for life, that is a just statement. Any group can come up and say, real justice would give not only all people opportunity to be married, but the outcome should be the same, meaning that if I ha am a homosexual, then I should have the right to be married too. And if I don't have the right to be married, that's unjust. Jesus says, wrong. God's justice is that one man and one woman be married for life. You see, you have to define justice through the eyes and the heart of God. And if God says something, that it is automatically just. To my fellow brothers and sisters in other churches and other parts of Alberta and Canada, if you think for a minute because God says an elder must be a man who exemplifies certain qualities, that's a just statement. And if it appears unjust to you, the thinking is, the, the problem is your thinking, not God's thinking. Is this making sense? We define justice through God's eyes, first and foremost. To assume for a second that anything God demands is unjust. To assume for a second that anything God demands is unjust. terrible. Moses goes on to say he's a God of faithfulness without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Righteousness, the psalmist says, Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Some would say, well, if that's God's righteousness, it must not be loving. Oh, it is, beloved. 
You can't separate it. His throne is founded on justice, and his ways are loving and true. You see, God defines what justice is. And in any conversation, that's where we need to go. We need to go where God defines injustice. In a discussion recently with someone, I said, you know, I think we need to be thinking Christianly. And I really never thought through that statement until recently. And so as I bring this message to you, my appeal to you is to think Christianly about the topic of social justice. What does that mean? I'm going to give you seven principles. Seven principles to think Christianly. Principle number one, to think as a Christian places the ultimate blame of injustice and wickedness at the human heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. As it's been said before, the heart of the problem is the heart. So when you're thinking of social justice issues, the Christian must think first and foremost that none are righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Romans 3, 10 to 12. Ultimately, now emphasize the word ultimately, ultimately, it's not social groupings or institutions that cause injustice. It's sin. My sin and your sin and our sin. And if it's sin, the ultimate solution is a Savior. If we put the problem where it starts, we are most likely to arrive at the right solution. Christians ought to realize that all impartiality, or all partiality, I mean, all injustice, all wrongdoing, is because of the sinfulness of people's hearts. Many months ago, the brand new commissioner of the RCMP stood up and said that in so many words. The very next day, she was marched into the prime minister's office, and the very next day after that, she stood up and recanted what she said. The first day, I was rejoicing. The problem is the heart. The gospel is the solution. Number two, to think Christianly rightly defines, defines the identity of all people in God. You see, the identity of a person this morning, and I count you all as brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope you are, your identity is found in Christ. 
You know, a familiar question that you hear people asking today is, how do you identify yourself? If you've ever had to fill out a form, there's a missing box that I think we as Christians ought to put in. How do you identify yourself? How about putting in, I identify myself as a bearer of the image of God in Christ Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Speaking to myself as I would speak to you, if you find who if you find that your identity is in the color of your skin, if you find that your identity is in your gender, if you find your identity is in your social standing, if you find that your identity is in the job you hold down, if you find your identity in these things, you will never, ever be satisfied in this world. We are made, all of us, as people bearing the image of God. It was that reason that when Noah came out of the ark, God made a covenant with Noah that included the valuing of human life. It was there we read this that we read that if a life is taken by someone, their life is forfeited, even if it's an animal. Why? What is the reason in Genesis 9, 5 to 6? Because we're all made in the image of God. That's how we should identify ourselves. All people today are under the Noahic covenant. All people today are under the covenant of Noah. We are to preserve and value all human life. All life by creation is precious, has eternal value. Not in who we are ourselves, but in who created us. In all the talk of social justice, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know that. But in all the talk of social justice, I don't hear anyone talking about the greatest social injustice in Canada today. Do you know what I'm going to say? The murder of countless babies. Stop and think about this. The murder of countless babies, babies of color. The murder of countless babies, babies who bear the genes of a female and a male. The murder of countless of babies with disabilities. Think of that. And in 2018, the number, you can find it on, on, on Google just like I found it. You find all the stats there. Nearly 84,000 babies were murdered in the womb. And nobody's talking about that. If 84,000 people groups were murdered, it would be all over the news. You see how skewed 
social justice is today. Now listen, <laughs> just in case you hear something wrong, I am not saying that race is unimportant, culture is unimportant. I am not saying, please mark it down, gender is not important. I believe those things are all important, but they are not more important than all people created in the image of God. And as Paul said in Acts 17, at that great Grecian uh, place of discussion in Athens, he said, all people come from one man. That means that me as a white person, as a person with Scottish-Canadian heritage, as a person who has whatever uh, education or whatever I have, all that takes second place to the fact that I'm created in the image of God, and that applies to you this morning. And those of us who have the privilege of being born into the family of God, think of this. Think of who you really are. Regardless of who you are this morning, race, color, gender, whatever. And you know how much I love this. This is Revelation 7, 9, when different people groups and different cultures gather to worship God. That's such, such a precious thing. But stop and think about what's even better than that. If you here are a Christian, regardless of your gender, regardless of your cultural background, the color of your skin, just think of it this. You are equally blessed in God as every other Christian is. That, and that's using the word equal properly. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were predestined, predetermined to be God's son. Ladies, marginal note, don't change the wording of the text. Ladies, you are God's son. I hear so many Christians saying, reading that, and they say, oh, there's women in the audience and sons and, da sons and daughters. No, it will be demeaning to you if you change the term because the term sons of God has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with inheritance. And that means you as women receive the full inheritance of the firstborn son. So don't change this text. Ladies, be proud of the fact that you are sons of God, not in a gender sense, but in an inheritance sense. You have full rights and privileges of the firstborn. Amen. Thank goodness someone's listening. If you choose something else, if your identity in your life is your color of your skin, if your identity is your job, your, your nationalistic background, if your identity is your gender, is, if, your if your identity is... If your identity is based on the job you do, and dare I say it, if your identity is based on the fact that you're a husband or a wife, all of those are important, but they're all secondary. 
We as Christians are identified by the fact that we are in Christ Jesus with equal blessings and privileges. Number three, I'll try to move faster. To think Christianly about justice issues means that true justice is motivated by love. It seems to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you will, it seems to me that the current justice movements that are seemingly promoting equality and respect are actually promoting suspicion, hostility, labeling of people, and they're motivated by envy, motivated by jealousy, motivated by anger and resentment. And that tells me that the social justice systems are, have the wrong motivation. Christian justice is motivated by love. story of the Good Samaritan isn't in our Bible, isn't in our Bible for simply just fun reading. Samaritans were marginalized, outcast, hated by the Jews, and yet Jesus gave honor to a Samaritan who had opportunity to do good, and he did it, motivated out of love. The Bible teaches us to love our enemies and even those who despitefully use us. The Bible calls us not to retaliate. As was read for us, do not overcome evil by evil. We should not adopt the tactics of the world to overcome evil in the world. We don't overcome evil by using evil tactics. We overcome evil by doing good. And we already defined what good is. Peter calls us as Christians to the high standard. 1 Peter 2, 22 to 23, speaking of Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to entrust himself to him who, watch this word, judges rightly. Paul reminds us that one of the marks of a true Christian, do not repay evil for evil. Christians, we ought to be motivated out of love for one another. Number four, to think Christianly means that we ought to respond to the plight of the oppressed. In Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, Jeremiah was writing to the exiles in Babylon. Guess what he said to them there? Remember, Jews are in exile, and they are oppressed people. He said, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you to exile and pray 
to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. And as I said from Isaiah, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. In God's opinion, the church ought to be active in seeking justice. And I think the principle that guides us, and again, I stand to be corrected, is as you have opportunity to do good, do good. Therefore, let me ask you this question. When you're sitting with the, in, at your work in the coffee shop or visiting with people in the coffee shop and someone makes a racial slur, do you and I have the courage to stand up and say that's wrong? That's where it boils down to. When you leave here this morning, you might say, the problem of justice in our society is so huge, I can't possibly understand how to resolve it. I'll tell you where you solve it. You start in your, in your communications, in my communications with people having coffee, having visit, and when I hear a racial slur, that's the time you seek justice. Men, what about honoring the women in your life? Women, what about honoring the men in your life? The world is looking for gender equality. Let me give you an example. I still think back to the times when we used to watch television shows, and I saw television show after television show model women as simply sex objects. Am I right or wrong? Am I right or wrong? And you would watch that, and you'd pay for that, and you'd talk about that, and enjoy that. And the flip side is also true. I continually started to see show after show, and commercial after commercial, that made men look like absolutely imbeciles and stupid and incapable of doing anything right. Am I right or am I wrong? And we enjoy that, we pay for that, and we talk about it, we tell jokes about it. You and I may not be able to go out there and solve gender equality in this world, but we can do it in our home, how we treat our men and women, and we can do it in our jobs, in our relationships in the community. We do have a responsibility. We need to have the courage to stand up and rebuke the multitude of racial slurs and jokes and statements that are made about cultures and genders and people groups. And by the way, the Bible places a huge, and literally huge amount of weight on our governments to ensure this doesn't happen. And this brings us up to the modern elections for this month. In 2 Samuel 23, 3-4, David records, The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of the God, 
he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless day, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth, describing blessing and prosperity. When leaders of our nation will rule justly, biblically just, it will bring and dawn a new day of blessing and prosperity. Are you praying for this month's election? Are you advocating with your MP? Are you talking with your friends and family about various platforms? God is going to judge this nation in its government for injustices. Hear me again. God is going to judge this nation and other governments for injustices. And those who commit injustice, our governments are to bring them to trial. And those who promote good injustice, our governments are to affirm Romans 13. Pray for your government. Pray for our government. Pray for the new government, whatever it takes. And when you speak with your MP, remind them kindly that they will give account to the living God for the decisions rendered. Number five, to think Christianly means you look at people differently. That might sound, that might sound crazy, but it's true. To think Christianly, we look at people differently. Notice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, Paul's saying that when Christians look at people, they don't classify people in human categories. They don't classify people in human categories. Christians do not look at other people and say, well, that person is rich, that person is privileged, that person is not. When Christians look at society, they don't say, well, that person is an embarrassment to society, that person is not. When Christians look at people in society, they look at people spiritually. There are those who have need of Christ and those who have received Christ. That's the only categories the way Christians ought to look. Every human being we meet, we meet we, one of two categories. They either need Christ or they have Christ. Many theories today, and here's where I use this first term, called critical theories. Whenever you hear something and the word critical is put to it, that's a red flag. Critical theories create categories of people. In fact, within critical race theory, the subset of intersectionality has created so many categories, I can't count them. And yet the Bible tells us clearly that when we're born of the Spirit, we don't look at people that way. We look at them spiritually. Christians view people according to the Spirit. We 
view people as those who need Christ and those who have Christ. And for those who need Christ, again, the solution is the gospel. The solution is the gospel. Number six, I said there were seven, so we're getting close. To think Christianly means to think of personal responsibility and accountability. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. I could go on and on and on about how the New Testament impresses the need for personal responsibility because we are personally accountable to God. Each person here this morning is a moral agent before God. The things you and I think, the things you and I act on, the things you and I believe, and the things you and I do will all be given to God and the end, or, or all be accountable to God in the end. Here's my point. I should say it clearly so you miss, don't miss it. Any theory, any social theory, any social theory that ignores personal responsibility and accountability is wrong. Several years ago, Jason and I brought teaching to this church based on the book, When Helping Hurts. I believe he taught the deacons, and I taught a Sunday school class. That's what we're talking about. And that book is based on the premise, not on the premise that people are not helped when you ignore personal responsibility and accountability on their part. So to think Christianly does not ignore that. And finally, number seven, to think Christianly in the ultimate sense is to remember that God who is perfect in justice is the final judge. Peter reminds us They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We heard read for us this morning. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Some injustices, maybe maybe a lot of injustices, because we live in an unjust world with corrupt governments and unjust courts. But many injustices will need to wait until God comes and makes it right. Many injustices. But as sure as I said that before your hearing, as sure as I said that before your hearing, It's going to happen. The day is going to come when the righteous judge of the earth will judge rightly. And at that time, all injustices will be dealt with. Biblical justice is then treating others in all areas of life in such a way as to uphold God's revealed standards of righteousness and holiness. That's why I said at the beginning, biblical justice ought to be our concern as much as holiness and righteousness. 
because biblical justice upholds God's righteousness and holiness. It means to each of us, as you have opportunity, do good. The road that you walk upon when you see that person being oppressed or unjustly treated or hurting, that is the person you are to attend to. That, who, that is who a sovereign God has providentially put in your way. It means for our nation to uphold the same standard and punish wrongdoers and reward the injured accordingly. So, beloved, my, in this very lengthy message, I'm sorry, but I wanted to say all that I wanted to say. My appeal to you this morning is to become informed. I'm not an expert. I've read and digested as much as I can. I need you to understand that social justice, as it's being portrayed in our society, in our government, in our government services, in our education, is opposed to Christianity. You need to know that. I encourage you to think Christianly about this. Equip yourself. It's going to be the big issue. Other authors, well, other authors have written better than I could possibly. But we're facing the onslaught of cultural Marxism in our world today. And the church needs to be forewarned. In June 2018, a number of evangelicals got together and they signed a statement on social justice. And since then, tens of thousands of churches and individuals have signed on with this statement. It's called the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. I've placed 10 copies of that out in the foyer for those who don't have access to the World Wide Web or email. Because when these notes are put on our website, you will have the link to that. You can get your own copy. But there's 10 copies out there that covers this area written by some tremendously solid men, men like John MacArthur and Bodie Bachman and some others. I mentioned Bodie Bachman. If you want to, if you want to be really well informed on the topic of social justice, Bodie Bachman has at least two very, very insightful, comprehensive, biblical, sound messages that you can get on YouTube. If you get, if you go to these these notes online, I've included the link to make it easier for you. Bodie Bachman has also written a book called Fault Lines on this system. You want to buy a book and be informed about it, I highly commend it to you. There's another resource that's available to you to become informed, and that's through a lady by the name of Monique Dusson. Again, if you access these notes or email me, just say, Jim, can you send me the references that you were mentioning on Sunday? I'd happily do it. But she is one of the co-founders of an organization called the Center 
for uh, um, for biblical unity, and her material is excellent, and I highly commend it to you. She's even written a Bible study for small groups on the topic of racial unity based on the Bible. There are several helpful articles uh, that I've, I've I've listed here from the Gospel Coalition to Tim Challies and others. If you ask me, I'll send you this. If you go to our website, the sermon notes that are there have all this included at the foot at the end, so that you can just link on it and become well read on this topic. I started this morning by saying that my purpose and aim was to warn you and inform you. You should cause us to pray. You should have a red light go on when you hear things like gender equality, things like reproductive equality, things like critical, well, critical anything, but critical race theory, intersectionality, woke. These are all terms. When you hear them, they ought to go, something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that. And as Pastor Josh prayed, the most important thing that I personally and we personally would love to know and to sense in the days going forward that we are loving one another, that we are unified as one another, and that we're far more concerned about following biblical teaching than we are about the spirit of the world in this age. Let's pray together. Again, Lord, help us, I pray. Help us, Father, that just because the world has it wrong doesn't mean that we should be wrong. Make us into a church that loves justice, is willing to do good, and address oppression and injustice. Make us into a church that loves one another and in unification moves forward in this area as you would have us move forward. May we not be blind to the multitude of unjust things that are happening right on our doorstep. Make us people who are conscious of this in our homes, in our coffee times, in our visiting, in our workplaces. I pray for the students that are attending school, from the littlest to the oldest, to those in public schools, those in uh, post-secondary schooling. Oh, Lord, may they not be captured by the emptiness of the world's viewpoint on justice. May they be captivated by your viewpoint. Lord, if I have been in error in any way this morning, I pray that you would forgive me. But that which has been true, may it resonate in our hearts and may it change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.